Designed to accelerate executives' learning and career growth at four different stages, the comprehensive leadership programs at Harvard Business School Executive Education deliver knowledge, skills, and perspective that transform your ability to lead. Prepare now to face tomorrow's challenges with confidence. Immerse yourself in a powerful, proven learning experience with full-time HBS faculty and talented peers from around the world. To learn more, visit hbs.me slash leadership. That's hbs.me slash leadership. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Fiona Maria Simon. She is the founder and creator of Fiona's Natural Foods. Fiona's passion of wanting to leave a legacy of love as a mom and an entrepreneur led her to create the now famous premier brand in the organic world of granola. Fiona and I will be discussing her soon-to-be-released memoir book, Gambling on Granola. Good morning, Fiona. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Johnny. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Gambling on Granola. I love the title. It is a wonderful read about dreaming larger, achieving greater, and becoming spectacular. It is a terrific business memoir, so congratulations to you. Thank you. Let us get started by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. So I was raised on on top of a mountain in a very tiny community called Sunspot. It's in southern New Mexico. Uh, There's a solar physics observatory there, and my dad uh, was a solar physicist. So I grew up in a little tiny community of 100 people, and we bust down the mountain halfway down to go to school. So it was a life out in nature and, and tiny community, and that's how I grew up. And then later on, uh, my family moved down the mountain, and I finished school down there. And then I went off to Europe for a year, learned another language, and then I went to college, and then I went to graduate school. Eventually, I got married and moved around, but I ended up in Colorado and was there for 20 years, and that's where I started my granola company up in Boulder. And I had that for 10 years. I sold it. And then when my daughter got into high school, um, that's when I sold the company. And when she went off to college, I came back to my roots, which is in New Mexico. Wonderful story. When did you discover you enjoy writing? You know, I found that out very early in life. My family has a tradition of writing poetry for Mm -hmm. family, like birthdays and that. So, uh, poetry had been tossed around, and my all my family really we all write well, but something just came very naturally and easily for me for all, for as long as I can remember with writing. Very interesting. You had a career in writing pretty much before starting your own company. When you travel, you were a travel writer and you were a journalist and so forth. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, when I got out of school with my bachelor's degree. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd gone to this little liberal arts college in Iowa called Grinnell. And I decided to move to Boston because my great aunt was living there. And she was my last surviving 
Jewish relative besides my father. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't spent much time together. And I was ready for big city life after growing up on top of a mountain. And so it was wonderful. I applied uh, to a job at MIT. And my very first job was doing communications at MIT. And then I saw a job uh, posted in the Boston Globe for travel copywriting. And I thought, that's me, because I am a gypsy. I'm a traveler. I plan Mm -hmm. to see the world. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to be a travel writer? I applied for that job, and I got it. And then I had decided to go into Peace Corps and got accepted to go to Honduras. So I came back to New Mexico just to see my folks and spend a little time. And then during that time, I met the guy I ended up marrying. Mm-hmm. And then we had our daughter, Natalie. And so I didn't do Peace Corps, but I went off to Costa Rica for about a year to learn Spanish and do social work. And then I came back and helped put him through optometry school. And then we moved mm-hmm. to Oregon. And anyway, so uh, then I taught Spanish for many years and mm-hmm. I never had another writing job until we got divorced and I had to f- provide for myself. So I looked in the paper for jobs. This was in the days where you actually looked in the newspaper, you know, <laughs> and there was a job listed uh, in Boulder at the communication, as the communications director of the Chamber of Commerce. I applied and I got that job. And so that was my last writing job before I quit that job to start my granola company. Was that a very difficult transition in the sense that from a, being a journalist to a communication director, since the fact that maybe as a journalist, you are writing about your observation, your thoughts, versus a communication director has to basically communicate what others want you to communicate to the public, so to speak. Exactly. And I find that journalism is similar in that we've got to observe and give news. I feel like the journalism was more objective and not a lot of subjective subject matter in there because mm-hmm. you just got to report the news. But with the, with the communications director, what I did is I interviewed two different owners of companies every month. I would go visit their businesses, interview them, write an article about them and their businesses, why they started. So I was doing that for a year and mm-hmm. a half. And I'm watching business owners come and go like, oh, my gosh, look at this flexible (laughs) lifestyle they have. That's the kind of lifestyle I want as a single mother. And then I can make my own hours. And it got under my skin. And I decided, you know what, I need to have a job where I have flexible hours for my daughter. So I can just pick her up when I feel like it, go on a field trip, and there's no negotiation. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I pounded the pavement for about a year and a half. I didn't go out to lunch with people. I went on walks every day at lunch. And I was praying, is what I realized I was doing, was praying to mm-hmm. figure out a way that some answer. And one day I was walking down the street and I heard a voice in my head say to sell my granola. And so I I sat with it a little while. It until it drove me insane. I couldn't sleep. And I finally <laughs> thought, you know what? If I'm ever going to get a good night's sleep again, I better just start a granola company because I don't want to be on my deathbed wondering what if I had done that. And yeah. so I quit my job. And um, and I just jumped in and learned what I needed to learn. 
Fascinating. We're going to go back to the period of time when you were a child growing up up on the mountain. Did you see any beautiful stars? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that. You know what? I saw the Milky Way every night of uh-huh. my life. Oh, you wow. know, growing up there, and and then I moved away from the from the mountain when we moved. And do you know, I went years, years, Johnny. I never mm-hmm. saw the Milky Way, and I thought, you know what? It, and one day it struck me as a young adult, and and I looked up in the night sky, and I thought, I haven't seen the Milky Way since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so I really do love those night skies and clear skies, and I'm so thrilled to be back in New Mexico because I can see those dark skies in that Milky Way again, and it just means a lot to be able to look up. That's our right, you know, to be able to see that kind of thing, and (laughs) and I've reclaimed it, I feel like. (laughs) That's wonderful. Can you imagine how many people just in the United States have not seen the beautiful skies at night? Yeah. It's amazing. It's true. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, light pollution. You know, I was very fortunate. I got to go up to Wyoming mm-hmm. last month to see the full total solar eclipse with a group of solar physicists. Mm-hmm. And we camped out on the lake for a few days. And and that was that was heard around the campground is how lucky we are to be able to capture these night skies. And I would encourage anyone who's never done that to go on a camping trip, go out into nature and, you know, there's the meteor showers every year in July, the Perseid meteor showers. Anytime, doesn't matter what's going on, you might see lightning. I, I just can't even tell you what it does to me to be out in nature and look at those dark skies at, at night. That's very interesting. You somehow took a turn in terms of getting into organic foods. When did that happen? You know, that's interesting because when I was growing up, I don't remember going to a grocery store and seeing organic piles of food and conventional piles of food. There was just, you know, we had produce, we had milk, we had cheese, but I don't recall all of this organic, and if it's not, then it must not not be organic, until I left New Mexico and I started living in other places and suddenly going to food co-ops and and started seeing this about organic this and organic that. And so I became educated about it and decided what I will be putting in my body is organic. And Mm -hmm. so that was simply, actually, I started to be really educated with all of that after I moved to Boulder. It was late in life for me. Mm -hmm. And then I, and the same thing about clinging detergents, I will only use either seventh generation. You know, one of those, I don't even have bleach in my house. I just believe in natural soaps, shampoos, dishwasher detergent, everything to lead a very healthy, comfortable lifestyle is available through natural resources, and mm-hmm. and we don't mm-hmm. need chemicals in our lives. And I'm not going to sell people chemicals. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Fantastic. So, what was your mission and vision for your company? Okay, so my mission was simply that I wanted to have a lifestyle as a single mother, where mm-hmm. I could, ha- you know support us. And I wanted to do something that came natural for me, that was fun for me, that used my talents. And I had been baking granola, Johnny, since I was 17, uh, 14 <laughs> years old. And yeah, I'm not yeah. dating myself, but that was over 20 years of baking granola when I started baking, uh, started the company. And yeah. so I, you know, when I heard that voice in my head, 
what goes through my mind is whose voice is that? You know, it was a male voice. But mm-hmm. I went with it because baking granola, I love to bake. I love to create food. I ended up creating eight distinct product lines during that time I owned the company in 10 years. What I discovered is developing food products is something that just comes so naturally to me with so much joy mm-hmm. that I loved it. It never felt like work, even though I worked 80 hours a week. It, it felt more like this adventure that every day was different learning something new every day and I was so challenged and it was just a joy ride really sure Sure. I ran and I ran into trouble let me tell you I ran into big Mm -hmm. big big trouble by making some very bad decisions I almost had to declare bankruptcy Mm -hmm. Uh, so it wasn't all a joy ride I had some real turmoil during during those 10 years but somehow Mm -hmm. Uh, and the recession hit during that time. That didn't help any business owners. It didn't help anybody. Right. But I got myself back on track every time. And so I felt good about the company by the time I sold it. And it's doing mm-hmm. well as far as I know. Well, fantastic. Did you have to adjust any of those recipes? I know you adjust initially a few of those recipes. But when it got going... Was that one of the things that you decided to do to have your own signature in the terms of, you know, it is a family recipe, but then you're starting to take the process of this is Fiona's stuff. Yes, and actually I changed the recipe quite a bit because the recipe mm-hmm. was had a wheat germ, uh, it had dry milk, it had honey, mm-hmm. and it had soy flour. And so what I did when I went into business is I realized there are so many food allergies out there. And soy had a reputation of being GMO crop, mm-hmm. genetically modified. I didn't want to take my chances. Uh, wheat is a major allergen, so I took that out. Dairy, uh, dairy, the same thing, big allergy. I took that milk right out of there. And I left the oats, the coconut, the nuts, the sesame seeds. Uh, I found an oil, and then I created all – oh, and then – my probably what I would call my secret ingredient. I don't need to keep it secret anymore. Uh, <laughs> barley and barley really added this depth to the granola, and I had never mm-hmm. seen anyone use barley in granola. And I'm telling you, it, it just transformed the cereal. And mm-hmm. then I discovered this brand new sweetener had just literally was just in the beginning phases called agave nectar. And when mm-hmm. I was in business way back at the end of 2001, agave was just being introduced to this country. And I was one of the very first manufacturers to incorporate it. And so I replaced the honey with agave because agave is a low glycemic index sweetener and it's vegan because a strict mm-hmm. vegan mm-hmm. won't eat honey. So I, you know, that way who. I took out all the reasons my, someone might not buy my granola, and I put in reasons right. why they would buy my granola. Yeah. Right, right. That's interesting, though, because what happens here, you obviously were sort of shaping your product to be very different than what is already in the market. But at the same time, when you start shaping that product into your specialized product, you are actually also narrowing your niche quite amazingly small, but then you succeeded. So tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, that's a great question because, believe it or not, when I started my granola company, there was not one granola company in Boulder, Colorado, which Mm -hmm. people hear that and they say, how can that be true? But I'm telling you it was true. And so I just decided I wanted my granola to be very different from the masses. The mass granolas, they are dehydrated. They're not baked fully. Well, because more water uh, gets retained in the oats and the other ingredients when you don't bake it out. Well, when you bake it out, you lose that weight. You've got to put more product in the bag, right, to weigh 12 ounces. Mm-hmm. And many mm-hmm. companies aren't willing to take that kind of a profit loss. It's profit loss straight off the top, and it's water. It costs nothing. But I was willing to take that profit loss because it made the granola so good. And I mm-hmm. charged more, and people paid for it because it was that much better. And so then what I decided to do is create really fun flavors, really unique combinations. So mm-hmm. I crystallized ginger with walnuts, and I, oh, my gosh, I created this granola with pure orange oil. It became one of the most popular granolas. And almond cranberry. I tried a traditional one, cinnamon raisin, didn't work so well. People in Boulder think raisins are pretty passe, you know. But they prefer <laughs> goji berries and chia seeds and that kind of thing in Boulder. But mm-hmm. um, so I created these different varieties. And so what distinguished my line, yes, it was granola. Yes, there were probably a dozen granolas sold at Whole Foods at the time when I got in. But I was the only one who made granola that way. And in those days, I was one of very few organic granolas. That that distinguished me in those days. And I got into the farmer's market, Johnny, like mm-hmm. months after going into business. Mm-hmm. And that just opened up my whole world as being a farmer's market in Boulder. Right. And especially yeah. probably in Boulder, Colorado, as compared to, say, the rest of the country. Because people are a little bit more progressive in terms of healthy eating and so forth. So you were at the right place at the right time. Exactly. And you know what? That is worth repeating. I was in the right place at the right time. And I believe many of us are at the right place at the right time. We just might not really see it. But if we open our eyes, these these opportunities are available. But yes, you know, had I not had the crisis with the divorce and then not being able to see my daughter except half the time and going insane when I didn't see her – I needed mm-hmm. something to fill up my days and my evenings and my weekends when I did not have her. I was mm-hmm. literally going crazy. And so I found a way to fill up every spare hour, every empty hour, meaning those are my hours without Natalie. And when I didn't have my daughter by my side, I was growing my company, and it took all that grief. It funneled it into something so positive. And it mm-hmm. it made me a happy person, you know. So that's what I mm-hmm. needed to do for survival, really. Well, fantastic. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Fiona Maria Simon. She's the founder and creator of Fiona's Natural Foods. Fiona's passion of wanting to leave a legacy of love as a mom and an entrepreneur led her to create the now famous premier brand in the organic world of granola. Fiona and I are discussing her soon-to-be-released business memoir, Gambling on Granola. 
I love the title. I really do love the title. It's fantastic. <laughs> so let's talk about your target audience. You have this group of people that have never really tasted something what you have because this is a family recipe. And now you are in the right place at the right time because people are eager and moving towards the organic food, so to speak. You did a lot of marketing on your own. So tell us about that life experience in itself. So I did, like I alluded to earlier, I did make a lot of mistakes. But you know what? I, As far as the target audience, really it was everybody because my the products were so good for kids. I ended up developing energy bars, both oat-based energy bars and quinoa. I created a line of quinoa cereals that were gluten-free. It was the first quinoa cereal that I know of on the supermarket shelf. And trail mix and nuts. And so my target audience was my my audience. In other words, the way I chose to, mm-hmm. ha- what my fundamental um, foundation of growing my company was, is, was and will always be, listen mm-hmm. to my customers. Listen to my customers. What are they telling me they want? What are they telling me their health issues are? And develop products that they will enjoy and they will eat. So do you know, Johnny, that so many of my products, almost all of them after the initial granolas were requested by chefs from downtown restaurants, uh, Mm -hmm. people who had irritable bowel syndrome or people who had diabetes or people who couldn't tolerate gluten, anything that people would say, I can't eat this because then I would create a food product they could eat. And some of my most popular products were products that I created out of requests from customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kept it up close and personal. I wanted to be at farmer's market. I rarely hired anyone to be at my booth because I wanted that one-to-one interaction with my customers. I delivered to Whole Foods for six years before I got into distribution. I was in Whole Foods six days a week for six years right, of my life, right, right, you know, right, because right. I wanted that interaction and the, the goodwill that built up. And my thinking was not, oh, strategy, like, oh, it's going to build goodwill. No, I wanted to be there. It just felt good to me. And when I went right. to distribution, I missed going into the stores and having those interactions. They're, they're, right. That became my social life, but it was also like a big family, and we're all doing this together. Mm-hmm. Well, what you explained is a classic example of taking ownership of the item you're selling, which in this case you are the owner. But the flip side of it is that that's also natural leadership in the sense that no one else could tell the best story about your product than you can. Yes, I was I was literally the face of my company for the whole mm-hmm. The whole thing of it, you know, and, you know, and I, the reason I named my company Fiona's was because people were telling me to do that. I was not initially going to name the company after myself. Do you know, it was the boss, my boss, the president of the chamber of commerce mm-hmm. strolled by my, my desk one day. And he said, so have you thought of a name for your company yet? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, it's obvious to me what it should be. And he mm-hmm. made the good point that there's, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, there's Annie's pasta, Right. you know, right. there's Paul Newman. And he said when people are willing to put a name, their own name, and maybe even their face on their product, 
that right. says something. And so I, and the story is in my book, but I came around and decided what the heck I'll name it after myself. And it it worked really mm-hmm. well. Very interesting. That's true because a sort of a tremendous validation, you believe in the product that you're selling. And that's a big self-endorsement as well. People want that because they know you all the way in and you're passionate about it. Well, and people would say, you are the perfect poster child for your company because, Donnie, literally every every day I ate my granola. Every day I ate my granola, okay? Whether it was with yogurt on top of ice cream with milk, dry on yeah. the run. And, and then as I created more products, I was eating my products every day, and they were fairly high fat. You know, I did mm-hmm. not try mm-hmm. to make a low-fat granola. That was the last thing I ever wanted to do because mm-hmm. healthy fats, your, the body utilizes immediately, and they and healthy mm-hmm. fats will not get stored in the body. They they give us mm-hmm. energy, and we utilize it. And so I knew I had healthy fats. I had nuts and coconut. These are healthy fats. And so why would I try to make a low-fat granola? It just doesn't make sense. And I'm also very tiny. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the and but I eat healthy fats, so it's actually hard for me to gain weight. But. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, so I just held to what I believed with food, and I didn't try to justify anything that I did because I understood the reasons why, and they made sense mm-hmm. to me. Well, now the million-dollar question is how much granola did Natalie have to eat? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, – she would eat it growing up. She loved the muesli cereal. There's a really cute story about the muesli. I got Natalie involved in every aspect of the business I could. She was my artist. She was my sign maker. She helped me stock shelves and rotate stock, and she went to the bakery with me. She delivered with me. And But she went a little period of time where she kind of quit eating the granola and then mm-hmm. one day she started eating it again, and she's like, you know, I don't know why. I kind of just needed a break from the granola, but I'm so glad I'm back because it's so good. So she did really enjoy it. And you can't believe what's just happened, Johnny. She texted mm-hmm. me and said, guess what I just baked, and it was granola. <laughs> and she, out of the blue, not even telling me she was going to do it, she has started baking granola. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I guess in this case, what's interesting is that as the granola story evolved from your family, from your grandma, and so forth, in some ways, there's a touch of spirituality to this whole process because it was perhaps at one time a comfort food and may still very well be. And what I like about it is that in your various chapters that you have a nice, wonderful quote to start off each chapter in your book. And as well as these, uh, I presume, I've not tasted any of your granola, so I have to tell you that, so I have no idea how it tastes like and so forth. However, I'm presuming, based on the way you have written in your book, that these are quotes that you are actually having on the package itself. Exactly. And so every single package had a different quote. So I had 10 varieties of cereal all in boxes, So every box had a different quote on top. And then I had four what are called caddies of granola bars, energy bars. And those are the little cases the energy bars come in. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so every one of those got a quote. And so when I wrote the book, what I did is I took those quotes to use them 
to lead into the chapters. And mm-hmm. then my editor ended up turning the, my longer chapters into shorter chapters. So then we had to come up with more quotes because there were yeah. more chapters than I had products with quotes on the box, boxes. And But they're very inspiring. And, you know, customers over the years thanked me for putting those quotes on the boxes. And so they, they inspired them. That's wonderful. That really is. It's a wonderful touch. I wanted to mention that because I thought that was, again, it's a journey that you took. It's interesting because when you look back in your life, who would have thought you would have owned and created a granola company? Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I wouldn't in my wildest dreams. There, I had no business background. No one had suggested it to me. And mm-hmm. my life just took these turns and took more turns and took more turns. And suddenly I, I ended up in this place. And I don't question it. There were a lot of hardships that led to that place of feeling the need to start this granola company, but it was Mm -hmm. the hardships, Johnny, that led me to that place. And so Mm -hmm. how can I even call them hardships? Those were the steps that I obviously needed to take and the path I obviously needed to walk, no matter the pain and the tears, that was my journey. And, but that journey got me to a place of paradise and, I feel like most life journeys are that way, that the most painful journeys and the most painful paths we have to walk down are going to the most beautiful places. We just got to stay on that path. So true. You mentioned in your book, you talk about those colorful characters that were in your life while the process of building a company and so forth. Let's talk a little bit about these people. So share that aspect of your group. Basically helped you along the way and things that pretty much life lessons that you learn from those encounters? Well, you know, I do think uh, at the beginning of my book, all the colorful characters that shaped my story. And, you know, those colorful characters are in my book. My book is basically a storybook. Every chapter Mm -hmm. is sort of like a little story about what happened and most involved Natalie and the business. And so it's this intertwining of stories of, what I was going through expanding the business as I was raising my daughter, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, sometimes there were conflicts, and, and I definitely mentioned those, some of those anyway in my book. But the colorful characters were, you know, the Whole Foods employees, my farmer's market customers, mm-hmm. my buyers. And eventually, I, I have to say, competitors came into the whole landscape that I didn't have to deal with before. So everything mm-hmm. kept evolving. The, every year I would create a new product line, and every year I'd get into further distribution. And and then the the granola company just ended up having a life of its own. I just said, okay, right. you know, it's gonna. I'll be in Cisco. I'll be in this restaurant chain. People would just call me out of the blue to get me into this place or that place, and and I just learn to surrender it all and go with the flow because that's the easiest way to lead life, I think. Well, inevitably what happens here is that you were building a team of supporters, and I say disrespectfully, I mean some of them employees and so forth and whatnot, and some of them are clients. That is the energy that you need because, like they always say, you know, you can't do it by yourself, but you need to have this network of people whether it's employees or customers alike, but they believe in the project and they inevitably contribute 
and I say this sort of uh, the energy generically because some of them contribute time, resources, ideas, support, but you have this huge team as part of Fiona's Natural Food. Don't you agree? Oh, I totally agree because it were, like I say, all those people really contributed to the success. I had bakers. Most of them Mm -hmm. were students from the University of Colorado, and there were fun stories about them in the book. And it really was a team effort because I I rented bakery space. Uh, My favorite space was from a guy named Howard. He was really became a mentor to me. And, and so then there was all this camaraderie in with Mm -hmm. the other companies and the bakeries. And then we can sort of uh, share each other's energy and help each other out. And of course, all my customers at farmer's market and my parents, I mean, my mother Mm -hmm. went to expo in California twice with me. She made, uh, she's an artist. So she made a beautiful quilt and a watercolor with my logo. My father made endless spreadsheets for me. He created these Excel spreadsheets to help me Mm -hmm. figure out my costs. And Mm -hmm. so uh, they really jumped on the bandwagon. They weren't excited about the idea at the beginning by a long shot. Mm-hmm. But when they saw how determined I was, they decided to help in the ways that they could. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, without them, I don't know. I just don't know if I could have survived, to be perfectly honest. So I'm very thankful for all the support. And the customers, mm-hmm. they kept buying that granola even during the recession, <laughs> even when they were running on hard times. The stores yeah. kept ordering it in. And we just made sure that the company was going to survive and I did whatever I had to do. Sometimes I felt like an acrobat. I'm going to do three backflips mm-hmm. to make this happen because I can't afford to let this company go for what all I've put mm-hmm. into it. And so we mm-hmm. learned to adapt. We learned to become stronger. We, we adjust, adapt, accommodate. My mom had a yogi who used to love to say that. And if we can do that, we can yeah. – we got to have a flexible lifestyle because nothing is certain, Johnny, and things will change. Right. That's what's certain is that things will change. And so right. can we keep up with it? And, yes, of course we can. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, the not-so-good news is that your parents have not billed you for their time put in yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, but um, they're, they're, they expect a lot of free granola. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I think I'm game for that. <laughs> okay, in kind. Yeah, but, you, you have to have a, you here. know, like, well, uh, I have this wonderful card. It's freaking roll for life. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, exactly. you know, you're, you're feeding me your grandma's recipe, my mom's recipe. Not exactly. I modify it. <laughs> so it becomes mine. <laughs> That's how you handle stuff like that. Say, so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about the financing side of the equation. How did you finance the business? So I started, I actually had $6,000 in my bank account. So Mm -hmm. I used some of that to buy cups and ingredients and little baggies. And I would bake some granola in my little townhouse in Longmont, which is this little, now it's not even a suburb really. It's its own town outside of Boulder. And Mm -hmm. I would bake granola, and I'd bring it around. Well, by then I had my logo. So out of my little inkjet printer, I would Mm -hmm. print all these labels and slap them on the bag and go around to coffee shops, restaurants, 
independent grocery stores and drop off samples with pricing. And invariably, I get a phone call with orders for granola and what varieties and what sizes. So I started that way. But within maybe one month, I realized I cannot do this in my home. In fact, the um, Boulder County Health uh, Department guy came out and he said I actually could do it out of my home as long as mm-hmm. I had separation of space because I had a little dog living it with me. And mm-hmm. but I could I had this basement. He's like you could convert your basement into a granola factor if you want to. Well, I did not want to. I right. found this great little bakery in Longmont. Uh, that's some of that story's in the book. And so within a month after getting down and saying I am doing this, I was already renting bakery space. And and those three months there, the granola caught on so quickly, I had to leave that little place in Longmont, find a bigger place in Boulder, and that kept happening. Then I moved into Howard's for a few years, then I kept outgrowing. Mm-hmm. So then I built my own factory out, and that's when the serious money had to happen because up until then, right. I was bringing in enough revenue to pay all my rent, and I didn't have big expenses. But when I decided to build out my own factory – I had to take a bank loan. My parents lent me money. And uh, all the money I had accumulated through the growth of the company got poured into there. And then I got into trouble because I built too big of a place. uh, And there were reasons for that. I knew I was, but anyway. Um, And then the recession hit. So, you know, it it was not easy, Johnny. It was not easy. Right. But I got myself downsized and uh, mm-hmm. moved again. And then after all of that, uh, I decided to sell the company. Yeah. Very interesting. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Fiona Maria Simon. She's the founder and creator of Fiona's Natural Food. Fiona's passion of wanting to leave a legacy of love as a mom and an entrepreneur led her to create the now famous premier brand in the organic world of granola. Fiona and I are discussing her soon-to-be-released business memoir, Gambling on Granola. I am your host, Johnny Tan. Fiona, how do you initially measure success for yourself and for your company? Well, that is an excellent question, and the way I measure success is am I doing what I love to do every day in a schedule that I create, and am I doing something that makes my heart happy? And if I'm doing those things and that's how my day is, I am successful. It's that simple. Very interesting. Yes. The other side of that success formula for me is if we're sharing our talents that come in, then I believe we're doing what we're supposed to be doing in the world. So in other words, some people are natural visual artists, others chefs, others mm-hmm. love engineering. They're creating bicycle parts. They're doing whatever. If we are following our calling, it doesn't matter what the calling is. It could even be a hobby, Johnny. But if we're mm-hmm. following some feeling that, something calls out to us and we quit questioning it and we just start doing that thing. A message comes in loud and clear about something. It could be where to live or what to do or, and that's instinct. 
And it's our sixth sense, which I believe is God. I won't be afraid to say that. I believe in God. I wasn't raised in any religious way. I see God as love, divinity. There's a divine presence. I think it's silly mm-hmm. to think that humans are the only, you know, well, animal. Mm-hmm. We're all alive, but I really believe in this energy force. And mm-hmm. that energy force communicates with us. Are we mm-hmm. listening? Are we open to what it might be telling us? And if we can open ourselves up, to listen to these inspirations that come in about how we might want to live our life or something we might want to do with our life that surely that brings us happiness and shares our talents with others to help uplift them. You know, I shared my culinary talents and it made people's breakfast so happy and their bike ride so happy because they had really good energy bars to eat and granola and it's, started their day it became a part of their day and I was able to participate in someone else's day by following my passion I mean can it get Mm -hmm. any better than that yeah that's beautiful because you're not focused on the money I mean we all need to make money to pay our bills but then the overwhelming drive behind the success that you have it's basically wanting to say, hey, you know, I've got this product. You really got to try it, and guess what? It's going to kick in some energy that you need, and it's good for you. Yes, yes. I'm contributing to someone's health in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. You know, I appreciate someone cooks an amazing meal set. A new friend of mine cooked me this amazing grilled salmon on the grill last night. You know, I can appreciate, mm-hmm. I, we all appreciate good food and the gift of food. And mm-hmm. a sharing, we all need to eat. Why not make it really good <laughs> and nourishing and spend time eating? Like in other countries, you sit around for three hours and you eat slowly and you sit around the table with wine and mm-hmm. maybe not wine. You know, it doesn't matter what yeah. you're drinking so much as just <laughs> that you can. Food really is a gathering component of our society. It it always has been. And when we're rush, 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 fast food, and we don't even, we don't even consciously know what we've just eaten because we're wolfing it down. I don't know how that can be good for our bodies. When we slow down Mm -hmm. and eat healthy and take time to prepare healthy food, that is when our bodies can heal and be healthy. So true. Why did you consider Fiona's natural food as a gamble? (laughs) Well, you know, it really was a gamble because mm-hmm. I decided one night lying on the floor because I was having painting done in my house. I like color on my walls. So I was mm-hmm. out of my bedroom sleeping on a mat on the floor in, in, in another room. And it was like night number 28 of insomnia of am, am I just going to start a company and take that risk. And that was my definitive night. I can picture myself lying on the floor, smelling paint drying, thinking I've got to just do this because how can I function without sleeping? And I, I, I need to know. And so it was this huge thousand dollars to my name. I had a daughter I was raising. I was mm-hmm. not getting a lot of child support. I couldn't count on anyone's income. And mm-hmm. so I just decided to take the bull by the horn, and luckily I had a lot uh, – well, I had my writing background I could fall back on. I have a master's degree in Spanish. I could always, always find a job teaching Spanish. I knew that would not be a problem. And so it was a gamble that I'm 
giving up a decent paying 8.30 to 5 o'clock job Monday through Mm -hmm. Friday where I have my weekends off, I have my evenings off. It's a job I really enjoy. There's not a whole lot of stress. Like, why would anyone give that up, Johnny? I was meeting people all Mm -hmm. the time. It was very social. I mean, I really had it made. I had very little commute time. I could have just kept going. I was leading a comfortable life. Mm -hmm. But it was Mm -hmm. that nagging that I couldn't have the flexibility I wanted with my daughter. And it, it, it just seared its way into my heart and it took my happiness away. And all of that, that I had a comfortable lifestyle. I could go to every festival, you know, weekends off, evenings off and having a job you like, (laughs) but it didn't work for me because I didn't have the flexibility I needed with my daughter. So what ended up happening is I work literally over double the hours. For over a decade, I worked myself to the bone. <laughs> but you know what? I made my own schedule. I was my own right. boss. And that mm-hmm. meant everything to me. Sure. Let's talk about this wonderful project, Feed My Starving Children. So you know what? I'm giving the new owners all the credit for that because mm-hmm. the people that bought my company, it's a family. Mm-hmm. And they... Uh, have roots in Wisconsin, but also Colorado. And they uh, basically continued the legacy. I had donated a lot of product. I had always meant to just take a certain percentage of my profits to give to good causes. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that in a formal way. I would say I did that in an informal way. But mm-hmm. They latched on to a definite cause where I do believe a percentage of sales is given to that cause. And mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I rarely go to the website. You know, it's a very different company now. Uh, the website mm-hmm. is completely revamped. My The packaging in the stores is different. It's no longer the, the Lotus logo in a box. It's in, mm-hmm. a, it's in a bag with a mountain motif. And, uh, and the recipe has changed. So when I left Colorado, I really did detach. You know, I went through this Mm -hmm, process mm -hmm. of I've got to just let this go so I can move on to other areas of my life. And so I'm not in touch too much with the owners. He did Mm -hmm. know, Jarrett knew, the last time I saw him was a couple years ago. And and Mm -hmm. I went up with Natalie. I was visiting her in Colorado. They have built out a huge factory where Mm -hmm. other food companies rent from them. And mm-hmm. so I believe it's going very well, but but that's a long answer to the fact that I can't <laughs> take credit for that. But I'm glad they're doing something like that. It's it's wonderful. See what you need to do every so often. You need to walk into some of those stores now, and just say, "Hey, that's me, Piotta." <laughs> <laughs> that's me exactly, and I do that once in a while. Like I did that, you know. It, 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 yeah, it's it's a different child, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Life is about having fun, so you got to go in there and take a selfie with them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Johnny, I guess I'll do that. Why not? Yeah, hey, why not? I think that new owners will be thrilled that you are doing that. <laughs> we are in the people business, and so in the end, it is about putting back the idea of that personal touch. Exactly. It's, it always goes back to a personal touch. You, you nailed mm-hmm. that one. Why did you decide to offer gambling on granola? The reason is, over the years, people, most of them farmer's market customers, 
Uh, and then people I would meet in other parts of the country that had no idea I would had started a granola company and Fiona's was not mm-hmm. in their region. But I would meet people. Eventually you say, what do you do? And I came out, I own mm-hmm. a granola company. And do you know, so many people over the years asked me to write a book. They mm-hmm. would say, Fiona, you need to tell your story. It's such a great story. I never even thought about it. I'm living in Boulder, Colorado. There's an entrepreneur almost on every corner. You know, farmer's market is packed with entrepreneurs. It it doesn't matter if it's the high-tech industry, the food industry, any of the natural products, clothing, you name it. So to me, I was one in a big, big, big cog of this churning wheel of entrepreneurism in Boulder. But once I sold the company, uh, I still would, was receiving requests to write a book. And then my mother invited me to give a talk at the Unitarian Church here in Santa Fe. There's a mm-hmm. women's federation, and they were doing a six-month entrepreneur series. And every mm-hmm. month they would have an entrepreneur come in and talk about her uh, company or whatever she was doing with entrepreneurism. And I agreed. I hesitated because, you see, when I tell my story, i got to tell the pain full parts mm-hmm. of it and some oh, parts sure, were very sure. painful and did I want to dredge all that up but yeah. I thought about it I sat on it and finally I decided you know what they want to hear my story I can do this so I wrote it, right. a talk and what I discovered Johnny is that it was actually healing for me to be able to talk about it it helped me process it mm-hmm. it didn't mm-hmm. kill me I didn't have a heart attack up there on the stage I told <laughs> it like it was and somehow it gave me strength. And so that is when then I got more encouragement to write a book. And finally, I was back in Boulder. I had sold the company. I had time. And I decided, what the heck, I'm just going to write a book. And I sat down on my computer one day, and I started writing. That's fantastic. Well, what helped me are the visual aids because mm. – Natalie had written such cute notes over the years and made such cute cards for people. And I would copy everything before I gave the original away. And so I had all of Natalie's artwork that was related to the business. And I kept everything. I keep things. I'm, that's something I'm working on is letting go of things. But the things I kept (laughs) were memorabilia with the company and so yeah. whenever I remembered a story or a situation, but not quite, I'd dig through those bins and I'd find the card or the note or whatever I needed to find, the testimonial. I would write those down mm-hmm. in my farmer's market. Notebook. I'd find them. And they have added so much color to the book because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're real authentic. Like that is really what happened. And so the mm-hmm. writing the book was so much fun because it was digging through all my bins, finding the quotes on the boxes, When I described about making the boxes, uh, you know, I would just pull one out and there would be the box and then I could write about it. So it was fun. I had my assembly of uh, resources right at my side to write my book. How has writing the memo itself impacted you in terms of has it changed you in some ways? Yes, Johnny. Do you know through the publication of this book, I have reached a true place of healing and acceptance and forgiveness as much for myself as for anybody else. And it's Mm -hmm. when I found forgiveness for myself that I could forgive other people. And as soon as that happened, just opening myself up so wide for forgiveness that 
it just started gushing through and it healed everything for me. And it was pretty telling that story. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Gambling on Gondola? You know, mostly what I'd love readers to gain is the allowance to let inspiration come in. I believe everybody, if not everybody, has some kind of calling of what really makes them feel good when they're doing some certain thing. And to allow themselves to just go with that and not always be so practical about what needs to be done and and give a little bit of time to just simply what feels good and see what happens. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. Where can someone go to get more information about you, buy your book, and keep up with your latest happenings? I know your book is not due till January of next year, but there are a lot of things I know that you're doing, and so I just want to make sure that people can connect with you. So my website, um, there are two domain names that go to the same site, either my name, FionaMariaSimon.com, also the name of my book, GamblingOnGranola.com. And there are my appearances, such as your show, would be on there. There's a contact page. Someone can send me an email. And, you know, a lot of my story is there, uh, some older blog posts over the years. If people want to learn a little bit more about my life or my writing, uh, the best place really to go is to that website. That sounds good. Looking back, what do you cherish most from creating Fiona's Natural Food? You know, Johnny, what I cherish the most is the freedom I had to create my own days. My days were long and my days were hard and the work just didn't seem to ever end. But I scheduled my days and I had so much freedom. I made my own decisions. No one was breathing down my neck or telling me what to do. I was not on anyone else's clock. And that's what I needed for my life. Everyone's different, but that's just what I felt I needed as a single mom is to be able to define my own days and when I would be where. And that's what I cherish is simply the freedom that came in when I created my own business. Would you have done something different? Yes. (laughs) I would have done a lot of things differently. (laughs) Uh, That could be another book, what I would have done differently. But... But I, the, the main difference, if, if I do another food company, which maybe mm-hmm. I will someday, mm-hmm. uh, I will bring on a team. I, I, just, I never even set up a board of advisors, um, and I was doing everything myself. Well, the baking and packaging, I got hired people right away. Mm-hmm. But other mm-hmm. than that, I was doing deliveries. I was doing marketing. I did all the accounting. I did all the product development, figured out the packaging, and, you know, it just wore me out. And mm-hmm. I, I, I would structure the, any company I ever would do again, I would completely structure it differently so that I had people in place to do different mm-hmm. parts of the business. Yeah. That's true. But in the course of you doing all of this separate things, the responsibility, so to speak, when you do delegate it, Someone cannot really sort of snowball you because you've been there and you've done it and you can show them exactly to do and to a point where just don't 
try to create something new. Just copy what I did. That would be the difference, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, because like you say, I can, I've been there and I've done that and I know that really the most efficient way to get things done. And, and you make a really good point only by having done all of those things. Mm -hmm. Am I in this position to be able to direct other people to do that? So thank you for that reminder, because sometimes I think, gosh, have I just done, you know, it differently, but by doing it the way I did, yes, I, I know what needs to be done and no one's going to tell me anything differently because like you just said, I've been there and done that. And actually, Johnny, that's very empowering, you know, because Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be messed with again. And, uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to meaning also with myself, and and so I know how to structure it differently only because I didn't do that before, and that's just a learning curve. And I believe so many mistakes, what we call mistakes, are really just opportunities to learn something. And that's so correct. I try to keep that. Yeah, I, I really try to keep that perspective. Yeah, and I'm glad you do because whenever you look back. Excellent executives are the ones that really roll up their sleeves and get down to business and learn all aspects of their business, to be honest with you, so that when they delegate, they know that that's the best approach to it. Now, they're open in terms of suggestions how to tweak it and make it better. However, they know right off the bat if somebody is, for the lack of better term, trying to snowball them. Mhm. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the worker who starts sweeping the floor and then gets moved up, moved up, and pretty soon, in twenty years, as the president of the company, because that person has done every single job there is to do in that company, and mm-hmm. can relate to all the employees who are now doing those various jobs. That's correct. And so, those are so the I ones that made excellent executives and excellent entrepreneurs. Well, yes, and because those people can have empathy for the, those worker bees doing what they're doing every day because they've been there and they've done that. What advice can you offer to people who dream about starting their own business? You know, the advice I would give them is to simply take the very first step. They don't need to run out and get a bank loan. They don't need to run out and form a board of advisors. Just whatever the business would require as a very basic first step, maybe go down to whatever office it might be to get yourself officially registered as a business. You know, it's usually online anymore. Yeah. It it probably costs 10 or $20. I mean, it's, it's, you know, just take that very, very, very first step. Start thinking about a logo maybe or, uh, get on to one of these websites like GoDaddy where you can actually create your own website. It costs almost nothing, Johnny, just <laughs> and, and see, and then sit with that feeling. How does it feel to be creating a logo? How does it feel to go register your name to be, a, be an official business? Okay, you don't have to owe taxes. All you have to do is fill out a form. Or how does it feel to open up one of these uh, website programs and just there, there are templates. It's not hard. People Mm -hmm. can start out so simply and easily and then 
sit with that feeling. Does it feel good? Does it feel exciting to start creating a website? And if it does, that is, in my opinion, that's, that's divine guidance. If it feels good, maybe you're supposed to be doing it, you know? Who doesn't mm-hmm. want to feel good? It doesn't have to be this huge monumental leap. It, it Just mm-hmm. that very first step and then sit back, take a deep breath, and listen to how your listen to the thoughts in your head feel. Listen to your feelings, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. I think so many answers come in when we sit with how we're feeling about something. That's terrific. And also to have patience, don't you think? Oh, yes. Have patience, especially when the excitement builds and builds and, and you just want everything to go more quickly. Yes, but have patience and also not be rash. You know, some people, I wouldn't encourage anyone to quit their jobs, just start doing it on the side. You know, that's what I did at the chamber when I worked mm-hmm. at the Chamber of Commerce in Boulder. I was working there full time, and, and this inspiration came in to start a granola company. And I would still work all day, and then I'd go home and I'd start creating all these varieties of granola and meet with people about my logo until, uh, you know, I just decided I, I just had to quit my job, but I had mm-hmm. already met a few people. It just felt so good. It didn't take very long either, but mm-hmm. the idea was rolling, rolling, rolling. And then I was fortunate that what my boss offered, let me work through the rest of the year part-time. I, I think she saw it as a safety net for me, which was very right. kind right. of her. And so then I had more time to work on my on my company. But yes, patience is the key probably to, to a lot of life, actually. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, what would you like to share as a recipe yes. for living with our listeners this morning? What I would like to share is to trust instinct. And I believe that when we only think with our brain, that can get us into trouble, and it got, certainly has gotten me into trouble. And as I've gotten older, I learn to think with my gut and my heart. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I consider those my brains anymore because that's where the true knowledge, I believe, of what I should be doing with my life comes in. If I try to get too logical about things, uh, that's actually when I think I get messed up. When I can sit with how I feel about something, then I, I never get led astray. It, it always leads me to the right place. So it's trusting our gut. And, and more and more scientific evidence is coming out to prove that. Um, but whether proved or not proved, that's what works for me. And, and so I really think it, would, it, it works for most people is to trust what our gut is telling us. That's fantastic, Fiona. That's a wonderful, wise decision from someone who had really experienced firsthand the ups and downs of life in the pursuit of happiness. So that's terrific. Really, really wonderful. To all our listeners, please join me next week, Tuesday morning, September 26th. My guest will be Kelly Sullivan Walden. She is a dream therapist and an author of five books on dreams and premonition. Kelly has appeared on numerous national radio and TV shows, including Coast to Coast AM, The Dr. Oz Show, and The Real. 
Kelly and I will be discussing enlightening stories from people who have experienced the extraordinary and tap into life-changing wisdom from her latest co-authored book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Dreams and the Unexplainable. 101 eye-opening stories about premonitions and miracles. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week. Fiona, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you, Johnny. Do the same. <laughs>